Hello and welcome back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. How the heck are you, Andy? I'm good. Have you had a fine and dandy month? I have, as it goes, and I'm very pleased mm-hmm. that the weather's getting warmer because I'm one of those people that you dislike on Twitter who wear shorts, sometimes even speedos. I'm going to oh, admit it. Grief! <laughs> See, that's a rip. As long as you, as long as you've basically got a, a three-piece tweed suit on at the moment, I'm quite uh, fine. I my mental image is I can't cope. I can't cope with this. All this flesh. All this all flesh. flesh. Well, well, that's fact. human beings for you, and, and <laughs> basically, I just, I just think, well, I'll just put blinkers on. I'll be fine. Yeah. You know. No. I'm I think wearing, it's, it's I'm more to do clothes. with the fact that... I'm that, wearing clothes. <laughs> it's this... It's. I mean, yeah, people can do what they like. It's just this sudden assumption that everybody else is interested in what they look like. I, think, I don't know. I think There's it's some... different if you're walking around town. I wouldn't walk around town with me top off, but in my back garden, I'm quite happy to lie there in my speedo. <laughs> and, and taunt the passing drones. <laughs> taunt the passing drones whilst I'm editing... All the, all the neighbours have got helicopters with cameras floating <laughs> above your garden just yeah. to catch a glimpse of your, your bronzed torso as well, you flaunt it to the world. Well, there was a woman doing ironing for a very long time yesterday and I was thinking, yeah, yeah she's getting yeah. her money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> You've been spotted by satellites. <laughs> so anyway. I just thought I'd better get the outer space right. <laughs> there you well done. You did well because I had no idea how we are going to get there. So good. <laughs> So, so to... yes, you're visible from the moon. <laughs> you're visible from the moon. Gosh. So, what are we doing this 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 blessed <laughs> this blessed day? Well, this blessed day we have reached the letter M in our A to Z, our second A to Z. Mm. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do for our third A to Z. I thought, but we'll worry about that some other don't, don't somewhere. Threaten two, me two years with a down third the line. Series. Don't threaten what? me with a third series, Harry. <laughs> somewhere down the line. Somewhere down the line, we'll, we'll do it in ten-minute sound bites. Um, no, uh, th- yes, this week we're looking at uh, well, this month we're looking at Moonbase Three, which was created, I believe, by Terence Dix and Barry Letts while they were in the depths of John Pertwiness. <laughs> I've got a horrible image in my head, which I need to remove immediately. But yes, <laughs> yes, Dix and Letts, and this is a series that they didn't really talk about, and I think lots of fans had to sort of dig around and work out that this actually mm. happened, because mm. there were very few memories of it. It had terrible mm. viewing figures. Mm. But yeah. I saw it on first transmission. <gasps> I I would have been nine years old. Oh, and because you. it was space, and because, you know, at that time, you know, all the Apollo stuff had still been going on. I was interested in space. I was, I was, shows you how old I actually am. But yes, I actually remember specifically I can vividly remember seeing the last episode. I, I, in that in that way, you get terribly excited about things when you're nine. I mean, uh, but weirdly, it kind of vanished forever. And again, it's one of those things where you start to think, mm, did I imagine it? Did I, you know, because I've got, you know, I've got, you know, you get little kids, you sort of scribble in notebooks and you write down things like, oh, Moonbase 3, oh, exciting. And, and it really wasn't exciting. That's the fascinating thing about it. When you compare it to a lot of other, was it Saturday night or Sunday night television dramas? Can't remember which night it was actually on. But I think it was you know, Sundays. It has the air of. Uh, I wrote this down at one point. It has the air of the brothers in space. Well, <laughs> well we'll get to that. But, but what I want to we know. Get to that. We'll get to that. But what I want to know first is what mm. did nine-year-old Martin make of Moonbase mm. Three? I think I probably enjoyed it because it was space. Although, I can say I can only. I have this vague, vague memory of that last episode, yeah. the one with the um, the moon, uh, the Earth, sort of where they all thought the Earth had died, and maybe it was. It sort of 
stuck in my memory. So, just a bit of background on this. Terence Dix and Barry Letts obviously enjoyed working together as script mm-hmm. editor and producer on Doctor Who. And they thought, hang on, this Doctor Who gig's not going to last forever. How about we, we do a bit of future-proofing here and come up with a series that we could do after Doctor Who that would be hugely mm. successful, just as mm. successful, maybe more successful than Doctor Who. So mm. their first idea was to come up with a series based around um, the Royal Navy because of their successful collaboration with them during the Sea Devils in oh, okay. 1971-2. Unfortunately, they were too late with their Navy idea because Warship mm. had already been commissioned. Mm. So the same premise, exactly. Um, instead, they thought, well, we know about space, but let's do something that's a bit more hard sci-fi, something more intelligent and realistic. Mm. So they submitted the pilot script for Moonbase 3 to Sean Sutton, who was the head of drama at the BBC. Mm. And yes, it was commissioned in December 72. Mm. And I'm sure, as you've noticed, was made in the end as a co-production with the BBC, 20th Century Fox, and the ABC Network in America. Hooray! They managed to do it because they got it in between season 10 and 11 of Doctor Who production. So So basically, they got three sources of money and spent none of it. No, 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 stop it! (laughs) But what beggars belief to me is that Mm. on the basis of the script for Departure and Arrival, it was commissioned Mm. in the first place, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Mm. So anything else... Who was in Moonbase 3, Martin? Tell us who was Moonbase in Moonbase 3. Well, Moonbase 3 uh, basically it features Donald Houston, who people might recognise. I, I always recognise from Where Eagles Dare as mm. one of the the, uh, the traitors in Where Eagles Dare. I was like to ruin that for you. Uh, Ralph Bates, Fiona Gaunt and Barry Lowe were the four principals. But, yeah. also, but also there's a whole host of Doctor Who of uh, alumni. Yes. Yeah. So you've you've got uh, you've got Nider in there. Yeah. You've got uh, you've got uh, uh, Light in there from Ghost Light, obviously much later on. Yes. Uh, and um, oh yes, you've got Mister Chin, the politician. Oh yes, Robert Bathurst. Yes. <laughs> so, so much to recommend this series. Mm. <laughs> I can see why it appeal. What I'm saying is, it's interesting. It was it was available very briefly as a DVD back in uh, mid two thousands. And uh, I think about 2006, something like that, got released maybe earlier. And it was one of those things that it's it's got six episodes on it. And I think because it got deleted quite quickly, mm-hmm. it became one of those sought after things. I, mean, I, I bought my copy when it was first released. Lucky old me. I've not, but I, I think I, it, when I was watching this, I mean, I actually sat through this twice to do this show. Today. Oh, my God. That's commitment, yeah. Martin. I, yeah, str- well, I struggled is. to sit through it once. <laughs> Well, the reason is that the first time through, so little of it sank in. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that I thought I better watch some of these again, otherwise I'm going to sit there going, oh, I don't, know, don't remember that. Um, but it's uh, it became one of those, you know, like Doctor Who fan. Oh, you know, it's by them, and it's got these people in it, and oh, I really must track it down thing. And it's it's not a terrible show. It's just. Not a great show, and and if you were sort of thinking, oh, I want to join my Doctor Who dots, I'd go and see if you could seek it out on YouTube or something, you know, just to get an idea of it. Um, I'll read the back of the DVD. Uh, it's released by Second Sight Television. Okay. The year is 2003, which is weird again, because I suspect when it was released, it probably was. The year is 2003, and stations have been built on the moon, at least four. Populated by various government representatives from around the world. Heading Moonbase 3 is David Calder, a name to conjure with and his team, 
and they are about to face many challenges to their lunar existence. From Doctor Who producer Barry Letts and writer Terence Dix comes this cult sci-fi series originally, de originally aired in 1973. The series had two directors, Ken Hannum, who also directed the 1981 TV version of The Day of the Triffids, see other episodes of A to Z, and Christopher Barry, who had directing duties on Doctor Who and The Tripods. We haven't done that yet. Nor, uh, nor will we. <laughs> among the stars were British acting stalwart Donald Houston and Ralph Bates, star of many Hammer horror films. Moonbase 3 was another groundbreaking piece of science fiction from the BBC with James Burke as scientific advisor. It was unique in its technical authenticity, which is the best thing they can see. <laughs> so... Um, before we get mm. into the episodes, I just want to say mm. a bit about the cast. And mm. we talked about Donald Houston, who... Um, very Welsh. Yes, very Welsh boyo. <laughs> Yakida! <laughs> who I didn't, I don't really know, but then I've, I've watched Where Eagles Dare, but um, mm. I, I wouldn't have known him. I wouldn't be able to pick him up and pick him out in a lineup. He's one of those faces, though. pick him out in a lineup. yeah. He's one of those faces that turns up in a lot of things, but... You know, sometimes you think, oh, it's it's him. Yeah. Mm. Now, Ralph Bates, I knew as a kid mm. from being in Dear John, the comedy series. Mm. But of course, oh, before right. that, he was in Secret Army playing the second Vercor, the mm. communist. And But mm -hmm. most famously, he was George Warleggan in Poldark, who was like the sexy, swarthy, evil mm. um, character who was the, the villain of the piece. Mm. Um, but... I can't imagine how he was ever cast as sexy, swarthy George Warleggan after Michel Lebrun in <laughs> Moonbase 3. He is the Michel Lebrun, a French, you know. <laughs> he is the drippiest, dullest, wet weekend of a man. And I can't... Anyway, I can't. But what I can believe... Uh, the weird thing is, he plays Caligula in the Granada version of the Caesars, which is mm. kind of their version of I, Claudius. Very mm. not so good. Um, but... Yeah, I suppose in Caligula he's he's really fun and good as in the Caesars, but mm. honestly, it's it's bizarre. He's no John Hurt, darling, is he? No, <laughs> definitely not. And then you've got poor old Fiona Gaunt, who mm. um, who feels like she's strapped in all the time through this, very mm. firmly. But she needs to be because mm. if you ever see her in War and Peace, she's definitely not strapped in. You don't mm. know where to look. Where she plays Helena Kuragina in oh, okay. War and Peace, opposite Colin Baker, who mm. is her—I think it's her husband or her brother—I don't remember. Mm. I oh, when the... he was going through his his phase of playing sexy young things, his sexy in phase, yeah, TV Colin drama, Baker's yeah. sexy phase. See mm. also um, cousin Bet, but mm. I did the viewing booklet for War and Peace, so I remember there was mm. there was. A lot of photographs of Fiona Gaunt mm. in very low-cut dresses. Right. I, I think the, the photographer enjoyed Fiona Gaunt. Um, mm. Then you've got Barry Lowe, who I didn't know. Did you know Barry Lowe? Uh, only from this. I kind of thought it's actually, he's, in some ways, he's actually, well, I hesitate to say he's the best thing in it, but he's, he's actually, it's a nice performance in this, and I was surprised how little else he seemed to have done, really. I agree. I think he's the best thing in it. I think he's really good. He's reliable. He's got a bit of charisma. But honestly, the casting of this, so flat. So flat. Mm. We'll get on to that. Mm. Um, okay. Mm. So it's worth saying that on its debut, it had 6 million viewers. Mm. But the ratings went as low as 2 million. Mm. Um, it's, it ran from sort of... Uh, I mean, it was one of those 
big new season on BBC One things, wasn't it? It was it was it was started in September, which mm-hmm. is always that big launch thing. Ran for the six weeks, ended in October. Never heard of again. And obviously mm-hmm. the ratings fell off a cliff. And yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. It mm. was um, it did go back up to four million before it finished, but for us. But for a Sunday night in 1973, that's terrible. Do you think there was a bit of a f- sort of, you know, backlash? I mean, because the Apollo missions ended in 72. There'd been a lot of space on telly. And you think people just either... Uh, there was lot, enough real telly to watch, a real no, space telly to watch. I just think it was bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. No, I think... No, you have a point. And I have a question that I need to ask you. Mm. Are you a fan of hard science fiction over the course of the last few months i've started to question whether i'm a fan of anything um (laughs) very much it's i'm finding i suppose as i get more curmudgeonly more old if you like the um what i'm finding is the stuff that i used to enjoy i I don't enjoy a lot of new stuff but i'm I'm finding a lot of stuff very difficult to watch that i used to i would have sat and watched Mm. quite over and over again uh i like telly science fiction i have read a fair amount of oh have you because i have science fiction so which Uh, which authors well this is it when i try and think about it i i I read asimov Mm -hmm. but asimov wrote a series of young um young youth 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 i don't know fiction fiction for younger uh, readers which i did read and i i read weirdly enough patrick moore did a similar the set of books which I also read, but um, I I think in in the when I was in my you know in my uh, in in my influential years if you like when I was I got quite into Larry Niven Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell books okay I quite like things like Star Trek I quite like things like Blake Seven I quite like things like Two Thousand One I do think Two Thousand One is a great film I've got the Arthur C Clarke uh, books of uh, the 2001, 3001, you know, the yeah. various sequels he wrote. However, I'm I'm not drawn to his other stuff, particularly. Right. And I used to buy these great, big, beautifully illustrated volumes of, of stuff about science fiction. Yeah. But I kind of skipped through the bit about the books <laughs> quite often. I realised this in later years. I, I, I did sort of buy these books because the illustrations were gorgeous and the, the stuff about the films and the stuff about the TV was interesting. But I did tend not to sort of spend a lot of time sort of delving into SF as a, as a written form. I mean, th- there were things I bought. I mean, I bought yeah. things like Starblazer. I bought, you know, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of hard SF in, in the comics, for example. But so I was drawn to it. But I, I don't know. I don't think I've been... I don't think science fact fiction is actually very interesting. So for me... um. I think as a kid, people was like, oh, Andy's into science fiction because he likes Doctor Who and Blake Seven. Mm. But mm. I think I'm actually limited to very sort of um, fun science fiction, which isn't on the science mm. fact side. Mm. And I've not even seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. So there mm. you go. Mm. Um, I love Star Wars. I love the Star Wars mm. films. They're fun. Mm. But I think they're quite light and they're, they're, mm. they haven't got the hard sci-fi edge. So, so coming to this, mm. I was thinking, will I like this at all? So, yeah, it's, I, w- I was concerned about this being more of a hard sci-fi series, and it was deliberately so by Dix and Letts. And I was thinking, do, will that rob it of the sort of things that interest me about TV science fiction? 
Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm not a fan of Star Trek because I just find mm. it too American and too flat. But anyway, mm. yes. Well, I quite liked original Star Trek. I found it got more and more worthy, and I and I find I did find the I always used to call Next Generation beige Trek, and 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 by the time it got to Voyager, I was just no, I can't bear this anymore. They're all they're all standing around millions of light years away from where they're supposed to be, and they're still putting on uniforms every day and all that shit. Blah. <laughs> You know, and they were so up their own ass. It's, it's transport America to the world, to the universe. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and part of me just went, oh, shut up. Yeah. But, 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 but the interesting thing to me about Moonbase 3. Tell me, Martin. Is how many parallels there are with the show they made 14 years later, which is Star Cups. Not least, I mean, the acting leap, the, the casting leap, if you like, yeah. of we've got an actor playing a character called david calder yeah. and when star cops comes along they cast an actor called david calder and i think was that some kind of <laughs> weird. link that was made in the casting director's head or was it a complete coincidence not the same it, spelling yeah but... but i've got some skin in the game with star cops because it's mm. produced by evgeny gridnev who mm. weirdly was the script editor of tenko Mm. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to Star Cops later and similarities. Well, it was just the, the thing that interested me was the fact that the when Star Cops, the opening couple of episodes are set in space stations. But when they moved to the moon base, because it was easier yeah. to film, how similar the scenes on the moon base in Star Cops looked to the ones in moon base three, mm -hmm. just as a sort of general yeah, yeah. you know, observation. So should we get into this? We so, might as well. So, yeah. So let's. Let's put ourselves in that position. Sunday night, 7.25pm in September 1973. Nine-year-old mm. Martin sitting mm. there watching it, probably. Um, so, Possibly. Departure and Arrival, written by mm. Barry Letts and Terence Dix, directed by mm. Ken Hannam. So, thoughts on this episode? Jenny, has the director gone? There he goes, love. You can speak to him if you like. No need. Um, I just wanted to know how he took it, flying without his pet pilot. How did he take it? Well, he didn't. Harry Sanders is flying that shuttle. Didn't Michelle speak to him? About what? It doesn't matter. How did he, um, see him? What, the director? Harry Sanders. As usual, number one and knows it. Tense? Well, he rushed his pre-lift off check a bit. Got a bit cheeky when I told him. And he, uh... Yes? Well, he was a bit crabby just before ignition. Still, it's hardly surprising, love, considering we kept him waiting in standby for seven minutes. Yes, of course. Fine. OK, give me a status report. When you Thanks, Tom. I got the impression that Departure and Arrival was written after other episodes had already been written, and they kind of went no, back. No, it was written the first. Beginning. It was written first, right. Well, I, I just got this impression well, that they'd gone of back. Well, Dead Planet was commissioned first, but this ah. one was actually the um, the pilot script that was approved and the series was commissioned on the basis of mm. this one. Well, I've got to be honest, it took... Uh, and I say I watched the whole series twice. I, it, I had to have three goes at this one. <laughs> I, at one point, on the first viewing, I got, I think, 25 minutes in and I just did that chapter skip thing to get to the end of the story. <laughs> I couldn't bear sitting through another 20 minutes of it. <laughs> then I realised that was cheating. I couldn't really do that. So I thought, well, I better watch it properly. So I did actually sit down and watch it properly. And then 
obviously last weekend I thought, well, I better watch the first and last ones again. <laughs> and and when I couldn't remember as much had happened in the middle four, I also watched the middle four. So this time I watched the, the last time through, I watched one, six and then two, three, four, five. So I watched Gosh. them out of order. But again, which might explain why I think they were commissioned out of order. But I really found that first episode an absolute struggle to get through. Yeah, same. I mean, it it tells the story of the the Moonbase director, Moonbase three director, played by Michael mm. Lees, who is upset about the lack of funding for the Moonbase, mm. um, which is the, the the kind of the European Moonbase, mm. and compared to the Russian and the American and the Chinese equivalents. Um, mm. And then it kind of changes direction in the sense that he dies in a shuttle accident mm. because the colleague who mm. who is unstable and mm. basically the shuttle Who's blows played up. by Davros. Yes, played by Davros, <laughs> played by Michael Wisher. And um, Harry Sanders. Yes. And mm. then it becomes about the new director coming in to replace the original mm. And the fact Ooh. that the, people, the Welsh wizard, yeah, boy, oh, the, the, the fact that the people who were on the moon base were they culpable for not having worked mm. out that this guy played by Davros is um, was a dodgy, well, was mentally unstable, mm. particularly when one of them is Helen Smith, um, played by Fiona, Fiona Gaunt, who is the moon base three resident mm. psychologist. Mm. Basically, she is the proto Diana Troy, <laughs> she is, but. She's so flat and vacant, and well, flat might not be the word. <laughs> Considering what you said, earlier. her delivery is very flat, though, and occasionally there's just nothing behind the eyes. Is the reason mm. why she was cast as the? Um, I uh, suspect it's because they bought a load of those um, cat suits and decided who who will fit these. Yes, possibly. Space cat suits. She was cast opposite Nigel Havers in the first five episodes of A Horseman Riding By as the person right. she married. He marries first Grace Lovell, who is a dodgy person, and she leaves after the first five episodes. But she's very good in that. It's the only thing I've ever seen her in where she's cast correctly for the role. In this, I find her too. Um, I don't. I don't ever root for her, and she's inconsistent, and mm. she's just too moony. She moons about the place, as you say, like mm. Diana Troy. But, um, well, there seems to be a, a general, uh, how can I put it? You've got six episodes of this and uh, one, well, she, she seems to be, the, I mean, I know there are a lot of other women on the moon base, but she seems to be the only uh, key woman yeah. on, the, on the moon base. And basically, because it's dicks and lets and their crew, right, they don't really know what to do with her because she's a woman. Yes. So the only thing you can actually give to a woman to do is to basically cross all sorts of boundaries of her job as a psychologist, psychiatrist or whatever. And she seems to basically have relationships with just about everybody she's treating. I know, which is really weird and dodgy. Um, we can't do that. I know it's grown up. It's an, it's an adult series. We'll put some sex in it. Oh, there's a woman. <laughs> but there's not even very much sex. If there was, it might be no. interesting. But um, the, the sexism throughout this series, and mm. I, I do think it's Barry Letts and Terence Dix as much as anyone else, the mm. sexism that is just so terrible. And you think this is meant to be portrayed in 2003. You'd hope we'd have gone, gone beyond this a bit. Mm. But mm. I mean, there's a line in this episode. The day we run Moonbase 3, according to the vagaries of a woman's fancy, is the day we go back to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, my Christ. Mm. And there's actually some very blatant arse watching as well in, uh, in, in one of the scenes uh, yeah. in the uh, control room. or whatever. Yes, the the... 
the Indian guy, I forget his name, mm. the one in the horrible polo net jumper, mm. he says, well, every time I come near me, Dr. Smith, I shall say, I have this uh, terrible urge to reach out and grab you. That's not okay. You can't just say no. that. No. So again and again, I really struggled with the sexism. Well, we, I think we only know it's 2003 because of they mention Harry's birthday of being 1961, and he's 43 years old or whatever. He's okay. 42 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the. I don't think it ever actually is tacitly said within it. Yeah, but we know it's got to be far enough in mm. the future that they've got moon bases on the moon. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I get that. But I mean, it's just that it's it's interesting that it's basically a very 1973 world transposed to 2003. It totally is, and that, that made me think about the fashions as well because they did. Mm. Apart from the fact that there's a lot of jumpsuits on display and the occasional mm. occasional sexy jacket or mm. cardigan, there's no real attempt to try and future dress them. Um, mm. They wear they're very polyester and mm. the fabrics and and maybe it was just mm. impossible to go beyond that but it's so mm. 1973 on the moon that it hurts. And I love the way that uh, the the director who when he's when he, who hates seems to hate actually being on the moon at all. The, yes. the, but the leaving director uh, has a briefcase. <laughs> of course he does because he's like that guy in the Seeds of Death who has a briefcase as well, doesn't he? <laughs> but at least. Seeds of death. It's kind of contemporary, but it's just this idea that people are walking. I'm, I'm off. I'm off to the shuttle. We haven't got proper joining ramps. We've got to walk across the moon to do it. I always hate that. Where's my briefcase? And he tells us that he hates to walk out to the shuttle twice, just in mm. case we haven't mm. got that fact. Yes, yeah. yes. It, there is a. I, 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 again, what I hate because I, you know, I, I hate to criticise, but there, there does seem to be some interesting um, lacking in script editing going on mm. in, in, in the series, certainly in that opening episode. It does seem that it could have done with another hand casting an eye of it, but like you say, it was commissioned from this. So Yeah. So that, oh, I should say before we go any further, mm. there's an element to this that I do like, and that is the fact that it's kind of a psychological drama. It's about mm. the characters and how they interact with each other. I don't mind mm. people talking together in rooms. I just mm. the problem is there's too many men. They're too mm. sexist, mm. and the problem and the problem is that really it should be the series should be called Mad Base Three because, <laughs> because every everybody episode, on it yeah. every it's episode a, a apart from like the last one maybe one other mm. it's just about people going a bit loony because they're on the moon, mm. which yeah. is there is a there's definitely psychological that someone's got their big book of psychology out for the story. But it's just it's just too much because it kind mm. of if I wanted to see a series about everyone going mad on the moon, then it mm. should be more upfront about that. But it's not. It kind of suggests mm. it's this really hard hitting, exciting sci fi series, but it isn't. Mm. It's it's workaday operations mm. on the moon and mm. it's so it's so incredibly slow. It's mm. it's a fascinating um, product of the time and it's just interesting mm. to watch it because it's 1973 television mm. but yeah it's 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 a very bizarre beast but you did think that harry was a bit um uh, snappy oh yes he was that all right sir but you see i've sat in that seat myself you never really get used to lift off you know some of us show it more than others that's all oh, of course well harry was due for leave the tension builds up i remember thinking Yes. Well, I remember thinking the sooner Harry's Earthside for a spell, the better. Oh, I see. So, he was nearer the edge than usual. Dangerously, in your opinion? 
We know that now, don't we, sir? It also interests me that, I mean, I, I, it's not that much earlier and it's not it's not that much later there is a, a big sequence set on the moon in 2001 but literally down the road in Boreham Wood they would have been filming Space 1999 within weeks of this uh-huh. and it's almost like they may have looked at it and go well what won't we do yes and, he, and the problem is with this series is when you think it's going to get fun and interesting it mm. never does there's no. always a hard science fiction human explanation mm. for everything mm. um and that is just it's just mm. like it's teasing you with being exciting it's teasing mm. you with with aliens it's teasing you mm. with something more and you never quite get it mm. so it's just like it kind of just makes you think well actually it's really boring living on the moon base um, <laughs> so so why would you watch well, you can't that? really go out for a walk can you well you on, can in a spacesuit, but yeah. yeah i know but if you want to scratch your nose while you're out you know, <laughs> no you can't do that so any anything else from episode one that struck you? Because I don't want to go through episode one. I, what I did like about it, um, I mean, there are a few things. I like the the general idea of a multi-racial uh, community that mm-hmm. they set up. Although weirdly, it reminded me quite a lot of uh, Doctor Who: The Moon Base. It's almost like that was the model for it. Uh-huh. You know, just similar kind of. You had the same stereotypes, and you had some very bad accents. <laughs> Certainly, the Spanish. The guy who's playing Spanish in one of the later episodes is kind of alarming yeah um, but he is actually the spanish actor jean moreno who's also no, in kessler oh dear god right <laughs> so he is actually spanish so oh, okay well i, yeah. I was I, I heard that and i thought no that sounds like the worst possible fake spanish <laughs> no, no i think he actually is spanish. Uh, okay fair enough there we go that's me wrong um but also i think it's interesting there are little bits i like i like bits like the fact that because they know the effect shots are going to be quite rubbish they, they they're sometimes on their black and white monitors <laughs> and you don't see the actual mm. you know you don't see the the uh the effects footage you see their monitors viewers i like the fact they've got black and white television but of course a lot of people would still have been watching this in black and white yeah. but i like the fact they've got black and white televisions and and so they you don't necessarily you see the buggy lean i mean you've got this remote control buggy thing which again by the time they came to star cops they'd actually got that better they they do look like toys quite often but i, I have to say I, I really enjoyed all the model work i enjoyed everything mm. on the moon i quite enjoyed mm. all the moon walk sequences and when they're outside well apart from the fact that the stuff. floor kept moving that that the, the, you know, the actual there was a lot of stuff where they put the foot down in the entire panel. And apart from that, I thought mm. at one point they were going to explain that they'd put panels down and mm. and and that's what they were walking on. But mm. no, it was just really bad. <laughs> well, it was just not properly structured. But it was kind of there were moments in that which which is a shame because you probably get away with it in the wide shots. But there's a lot of close-ups of feet and you see the feet, um, you know sort of touching the ground now the thing that interests me about episode one specifically is that calder decides to do a psychological experiment to make his staff feel the same terror about space because space is what is it a remorseless implacable enemy yes and, and you need to that was know a good your line. remorseless implacable enemy and it will kill you as well as do all this kind of thing but what fascinates me is can you imagine you actually fake a space crash to get your people to walk across. I know. It's so irresponsible. It's it's basically, um, you know, workplace comp case waiting to happen. It totally is. 
And it's bizarre that he's, he gets away with it because it's what they did... It's bullying, isn't it, when all's said and yeah, done? because what they did is much less worse than what he did because they just mm. didn't quite put the pieces together or make a decision about about Michael Wish's character that he shouldn't have gone mm. up in the in the rocket. Mm. Mm. Um, and, you know, they weren't to know that it was going to be more serious than that. Mm. And also, yeah, so... And there was this, all this stuff about making illusions about love. And he was mm. saying... Do they, you know, love one another or die, he mm. was said. Love but, one another or die. Yes, which yes. I just thought was weird. And mm. I thought, well, it's not about whether they loved each other enough. It's about mm. let's be more decisive about our, mm. our decisions about people's psychological character. That's the moral, mm. not whether you love each other enough. Mm. I didn't ask you to do anything more than you did in your basic lunar training. Only difference was that you thought it was real. Why? I wanted you to know for yourselves. Really know what we're up against. Out there is a remorseless, implacable enemy. The most hostile environment man has ever met. Now we must fight it together. Do you know? Up here on the moon, it is literally true. We must love one another or die. I think the problem that Moonbase 3 has is that the there's only ever really about 35 minutes of story for every 55 minute episode and the rest of it is taking it with padding which is people talking about things endlessly or really mm. long safety check mm. procedures or countdowns mm. or it becomes the uh, i say it tries to be the power game you know it's all this boardroom battles and things but yeah. it fails yeah, to it do does. that really because you don't feel any real sense of jeopardy you don't feel that lebron is scheming to get the top job no. even though he's he feels like he's been kicked out and should have got that job you don't feel any of that stuff really you don't you don't feel that uh, tom hill you know in some ways he should just be off in engineering being you know there's all this talk about how he, he manages to build everything and he was this later on in the episode he's, he's the best space pilot there is and yet he spends most of his time drinking well <laughs> well they drink a lot <laughs> Um, a few other things I want to pick out from episode one which amused me. Mm. One was that there was a line about, we've only had five fatalities in eight years. And I'm thinking, mm. that's not great. <laughs> if, it, if, it was, if it was your local bank, you'd think that was quite high. <laughs> yeah, well, I think on the moon, that's still quite high. Mm. Um, I also liked there was an appearance by a woman in the leadership role, which was Madame Karnak in, mm. at some point. But, mm. you know, that was good to see that. Um, and the amusing thing that, I don't understand about career progression in this because David Calder manages to be a lecturer at Oxford, then some sort of chancellor role at Oxford as well, and then he somehow gets and then he somehow gets this moon base job out of nowhere. I'm like, what's going on with the astronaut recruitment? There is a recruitment? point, isn't there? There is a point in this where where they basically read out his CV for yeah. two minutes. Yes, it's so bizarre. <laughs> and again, that's the stretching and padding that we're talking about. But um... yeah. You know, I, the one thing that, that does get me is that uh, because it's a big deal is made of it is uh, James Burke being a scientific advisor on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Burke is, is obviously a, a television icon mm. and, and we love him to bits. And the stuff he did on the Apollo is basically he would do what Calder does in the later episode, which is here's a here's a toy rocket. Here's a toy rocket. This is what they're going to do. <laughs> And and I don't know whether that's the bit that actually got him the advisor gig, that bit in that later episode. But it's just interesting because sometimes I think this, uh, you know, Star Trek, the motion picture. Yeah. 
I think there is a credit for someone like Isaac Asimov on that. And there was all this stuff about, oh, you couldn't possibly use your warp drive within the solar system because of the damage it would do. All this sort of sci-fi yeah. technical jargon that they immediately ignored them and they made the rest of the films. Uh, but it's like when you get this serious proper science person in, it can kind of skew things. However, that said, you know, Kit Peddler. Kit Peddler did some fine drama with his scientific background. It's just... I just think that the James Burke thing might have slowed I'm it down. I'm agreeing with your your first point. I think mm. Kit Peddler is not a good thing for Doctor Who. Yes, mm. he created the Cybermen, and that's... Mm. Yeah, but you could argue there's similar sort of mm. ideas elsewhere. But, um, no, I think saddling series with technical advisors is not necessarily a good thing. The mm. one exception I would make is Secret Army, because it was actually mm. Evaders who went down the line. But that's a bit less technical and a bit more human. Mm. But... Um, I, I think it's a struggle. Whenever I, whenever I see it, whenever I see it on a series, I worry about how serious and how undramatic it's going to mm. be. And it usually tends to take away from the drama, in my experience. Mm. Well, historical advisors are one thing, and ultimately yeah. someone getting the buttons right on the uniforms because somebody will always write here yeah. to the Radio Times. I noticed that they were wearing the wrong buttons on yeah. that jacket. And yeah. blah, blah, you know. So I get that. Yeah. I mean, that helps. But actually, when it comes to story plotting, it sometimes really does kind of hamper it yeah so episode two is called episode two behemoth and it's written mm, by behemoth who's it written by john did you, brazen did you just did you just correct how i said behemoth no I, I just the way i say it i said <laughs> what behemoth <laughs> okay i'll say it again dramatically behemoth it's not behemoth, behemoth. it's not behemoth it's definitely behemoth <laughs> behemoth Written, yeah, anyway. by, written by my mate John Brayson from Secret Army. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So this story is about... This is uh, this is Terence saying we need a monster, Bowie, we need a monster. It is, but then completely betraying the excitement and all the possibility of a lunar monster by mm. ending up just being people, just being idiots. Yep, <laughs> yep. Because, including Nida. Yeah, because they set <laughs> up this miles. really exciting thing about this area of the moon called Mara Frigoris, where people feel like they're being watched, and there's that explosion that kills Nida's character, and mm. it came from outside, something came from outside, mm. and the track's leading back to Mara Frigoris, and you think, oh, this is kind of starting to get like Doctor Who. This is starting mm. to get exciting. Oh, no, it's not. This is just nothing but detonations mm. being made when they mm. shouldn't have been. And it's mm. like, why is that a storyline? Um, mm. Well, because they wanted to have a bit of, you know, oh, there'll be a space monster. That's They wanted to imply that yes. they're going to do a space but monster. I imagine the it. trailer was full of that. But not to do it. Mm. How do you recover from that dramatically? Mm. Well, it's a, it's a piece on human paranoia and how gullible we are. I get that. But it's... Ugh. God, yeah, it does. It does tend to mess about. I mean, I spent a lot of time in this episode, particularly watching the spa- the snazzy space clothes. Well, this is the episode with a gorgeous snazzy jumpsuit jacket thing with the um, with the brown, that... the brown and the beige and the white. I thought that was cool. Did you? Oh dear. Yeah, Gosh. I like that. I would I, wear. I, I, I would wear to... that to. Uh... And it was worn by Space Noel Edmonds. <laughs> yes, that's one of the few things I would. Well, I wouldn't wear it like. You know, except for like a really proper mm. do somewhere, but I mm. did like that. I thought that was one <laughs> of the few attempts to make something spacey. Mm. I'm sorry, Pierre. 
I realize that you wish to keep your current work confidential. It is just that my research is suddenly very delicate. I must be sure or else I make a complete fool of myself. Costa. And wait. Perhaps it is right that I should tell you a little, very little, about my discoveries. Sit down, Pear. I do think it's a shame that Peter Miles is only in it briefly and he dies mm. really soon, doesn't he? Mm. He's in episode one as well, though, briefly. So, yeah, I mean, but so only they, tiny they do have a bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I was mesmerised by the question of Sport Canteen. Um, do you see? Do you remember the old question of Sport logo with all the lines? Oh, it feels yes. like that's what the canteen is. Oh, that's modern futuristic wallpaper. Yes. <laughs> mm. um, so, this is the episode in which. We meet John Hallam as Peter Conway, who will become more mm. significant later. But mm. he he kind of exaggerates the rumour of the lunar monster because he's yeah. kind of got these sort of more artistic and florid bent to him. And he has a wonderful line in this when he's talking to Fiona. who You know, Fiona falls in love with him this week. Mm. Um, Something coming out of the cold, black, empty dark to shatter the comfort of our cosy little moon base. Mm. I like that line. thought that mm. was good. Um. Any other thoughts? Uh, well, there's a quite nice bit where they go to the space ice cream van halfway through the episode. I quite like that. Um, the, Hallam's tittle-tattle is, is, is kind of a, a sort of... <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, really, because he's seen a sympathetic character later in the series, but actually he's, qu he's quite the one for for driving the problems that they have on the moon base and on the other moon bases because the, the gossip spread. I think it's interesting to observe the way gossip does spread and, and doubt and a story like that might spread amongst you know the different moon bases even down to Earth and everything like that. And that's quite an interesting... It's not really played on very well, but it, could it is have, in there. It could have been a much richer vein because the, the Chinese mm. get in touch and saying, stop spreading this propaganda about mm. a lunar monster. But yeah. I do think it would be more interesting if they'd actually had visits to the other moon bases and mm. you could see the different cultures of the different moon bases. Mm. But also, we don't see much of the culture of this moon base. Mm. We... We don't, like, I would have expected to, like, oh, well, this is the lights out sort of time, mm. so we have a feeling that, like, we have a night time and we have a day. Mm. Um, there wasn't a procedure to it. I didn't believe mm. in the life there, even though they kept trying to show us it. I don't think they showed us it very well. No. It always interests me that I always think that um, Space 1999, what it needed in... in purely in terms of actually trying to explain the amount of people who die and yet somehow they still have a working community and how they could bring in new people in the second year was that there should have been an Al a moon base beta and a moon base delta and a moon base epsilon and right. you know, there should have been other moon bases mm -hmm. for them to be able to work together because actually just having moon base alpha and a definite fixed number of 300 and something people by the end of that first series basically Koenig will be there on his own yeah him and, him and uh, Barbara Bain floating off into eternity. Actually, Barbara Bain's not unlike the acting of um, Fiona Gaunt, to be honest. She's just it's a... space acting. You see, this space is the thing. Acting. I mean, you, I suppose there is this wider feeling at the time, isn't there? That, um, you know, again, the influence of 2001 is quite strong. There's a very static way of performing you know, space acting and it didn't really change until star wars came along because even the thing about logan's run lovely film like logan's run but the people in it are doing future acting yeah one scene in in episode two that i wanted to mm. focus on because it's just an example of how dull this series can be mm. is 
when Michelle Lebrun is talking with Juan Benevente, played by Jean oh. Reno. Um, oh, in that accent that I was not convinced yes. by, and it turns turns out to be genuine. Thank but you yeah, then, but then Michelle Lebrun has the gall to say, you know, oh, his accent's terrible when his is terrible himself. Mm. His French accent's awful. But anyway, that's not mm. the point. There's this really long sequence in which one is concerned because there's a solar storm coming to Earth. Oh yes, the weather. Uh, yeah, they talk about the weather for ten minutes, and it may or not be may or not be may or may not be significant. Mm. There may or might may not be a solar storm. It mm. might cost lives, but mm. they, do they warn Earth or not? Mm. Um, do they alert Earth? Um, mm. And they take the concern to the to David to, to talk about it. Mm. Um, and they decide to warn Earth now and make it clear that it's a premature warning because they might be mm. incommunicado when the final results come through. It's the layers of detail in this conversation mm. that I could not support interest in mm. for as long as they expected. I'm mm. like... I don't really care about this potential storm because mm. you've talked about this potential storm for 10 minutes now and mm. you've done it in terrible accents mm. and there's no... <laughs> it's never mentioned again. And there's no drama. And yes, and then no. it's never mentioned again. And mm. it's just like, that's just unforgivable mm. for primetime drama. Here you can see the flare building up in the centre. It does not look much. But if you look at this X-ray view, it is very much bigger than it looks. At the same time, there is a hurricane building up on Earth. Then warn Earth, my dear Juan. There is an established procedure. It is possible that the conditions will subside, prove to be a false alarm. Then do not warn them until you are sure. Madre de Dios! Me, me can't you not see? We warn Earth now. The conditions are subside. No hurricane. Well, everybody says we are fools. The next warning is ignored and people die. Then so tell... we do not warn Earth. The conditions worsen, and at the same time, when we should warn them, we cannot because there is a solar storm. <laughs> then they say, why don't those fools on the moon give us warnings? We are about to begin the review meeting. I shall inform the director of the problem. It's a weird one. It's an absolute... You almost feel like there was another episode there somehow. Somewhere. But they were, it's also that they, they were the weather They were the weather control station on the moon. Again, it's it kind of... Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I mean, John Brazen has, I mean, wrote some very taught episodes of Secret Army, didn't he? I mean, he's, yeah. he's, 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 a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a top flight TV writer. And he, was, this... and he was the script editor of Secret Army as well, so he really mm. pulls it together. Mm. So I don't know what happened here. What I did like was the fact that the the actor who who reported on the uh, Peter Miles character's uh, autopsy never even got off the screen. It's just he was seen on a screen. And Bless the him. The never saw his face other than this blurry little black and white image. In the corner. Yeah, <laughs> that was a choice. He was obviously great. <laughs> oh, and there's that scene as well where where um, uh, LeBron is falling out with Coldo and he goes, "There's the hot seat. Try it for size, <laughs> boyo." <laughs> you know, oh my god so um and we get a lot of surface stuff again and yeah and, and, the, yeah. and the reveal is a bit mundane and oh. it's it's yeah we, we're two episodes you can see why the ratings are dropping off a cliff really yes you can so episode three is called achilles heel is mm. it not and John Lucarotti, yes. John Lucarotti, that's a name to conjure with, isn't it? Mm, indeed. Or as I call it, the evil Harold Meeker episode. <laughs> well, what, or you could call it the evil war chief episode if you prefer. But, <laughs> but yes, it's when Harold Meeker goes 
he's, he's, he's kind of a Jack the Lad. He's kind of like, oh, mm. I'm everyone's mate. And of mm-hmm. course, Helen Smith falls in love with him because she falls mm-hmm. in love with all of her patients and it's very indiscreet. But <laughs> he's behind the scenes causing mm. lots of accidents and disarray yeah. and mm. and it's all because he didn't get a place on a... On a Venus mission. probe. Venus probe, yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Um, <laughs> I didn't get on the Venus probe, so nobody gets on the Venus yeah. probe. I have to say, I was astonished early on in this episode because... Mm. This is the only episode, and in a tiny scene, in which Moonbase 3 passes the Bechdel test. Hooray! Hooray! Because the character called Kate has Mm. a conversation with an unnamed character, some woman, Mm. and they're talking about this experiment that went Mm. wrong. And they actually talk talk about something that is a thing without it being about men. And I was like, Mm. oh, hooray, we've got a Bechdel Mm. test passing moment. But I think that might be the... One of the own, it is the only moment in all of it because I was mm. watching it for it. Don't take it to heart, Professor. I know how much that piece of equipment means up here. It's an odd one, isn't it? Because this is the one where the, the he's put, basically he's, put, he's putting in the poison, isn't he? He's dripping in the poison with his colleague. So he's got a colleague who has a, a, a fresh young wife he's not seen for 18 months. Yes. on earth and and he's sort of saying oh well you know you need to get back to where mate why and all that kind of thing look at my mustache yes <laughs> no he didn't, i can't remember if he had a mustache in this or not that's weird isn't it um, <laughs> he did he did <laughs> yeah and there's a lot of psycho battle and 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 do you put moon base before your marriage and then uh something happens to stop a, him getting the rocket home and then and then it turns out that well, we, but he, he makes out that the, well, this was all a plot to st- keep him there and all that sort of thing. And again, weird scenes in the um, I don't know, the Moonbase Three Bar when they can just get vodka and lime from from a machine in the middle of the room <laughs> from, a, kind of like, from a cabinet, a glass. <laughs> I mean, I know they're they're boring and I know they're dull and they're a long way from home, but Christ, they don't ask knock knock it back. <laughs> well, it is the seventies at the BBC, darling. Um, Fair point. Well, maybe this is it. Maybe Moonbase 3 is just an allegory. It's actually... It's, yes. It's BBC Television Centre. If the rest of the world... If it had been blown into orbit. Yes. BBC Mad TV Centre. Um, so you have a brilliant scene in which David Calder goes on his exercise bike while fully clothed. And I just don't want to yes. think about the sweat there, but... <laughs> I did wonder about this. I've written down space exercise bike. I did think. I mean, I know ultimately there's a whole lot of stuff about you know, astronauts having to exercise to keep their, uh, their muscle mass and all this kind of thing. Uh, but I, yeah, I thought, oh, that's been thrown in. It's like they've done two episodes, and someone said, shouldn't he have an exercise bike? Yeah. I also liked the mention of Quenty Quillian Zlotties. That was good. Ah. Oh yes, money and budgets. Mm. Mm, money yes. and budgets get that's, mentioned that's a lot. That's interesting. That's going to pique the viewing figures, <laughs> isn't it? Let's talk about budgetary concerns. Mm. What did you think about Dodie, who was Bill's um, wife? Do you mm. think she was having it away on Earth? Because I do. She was. <laughs> she was so saying like, oh, no, 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 stay there, stay don't there. Come back, don't come back. Is there something special you wanted to talk about? Yes, quit. What? Up here, coming back home. I don't understand. I want to be with you. Well, I want to be with you as well, Bill. But what about your work? I can get another job. But you're more than halfway through your tour. It still leaves 18 months to go. But but there'll be three leave periods. With five months between each one. You're so busy. The time will fly. What about you? Don't worry. I'm fine. 
You don't want me to come home. I do, darling. You know that. Well, I can leave tonight. No, Bill, no. Why not? Well, I'd hate it if you did something drastic and regretted it later. Let it ride until your next leave. It's only two months. We'll discuss it then. Will you do that, please? Do you still love me? After what I've just said. <laughs> Silly question. <laughs> It is a four-day journey. I mean, it's like you'd have some warning. <laughs> I reckon he'd be was, still in the wardrobe. I reckon there was a man with terrible brown underpants on very near her. <laughs> Probably Stephen Yardley. I don't Yardley. know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm con I'm convinced that not anything like as much sex goes on in the world as people like to think there is. But there we go. Um, so. I wrote down, Michelle is a sour-faced party pooper, obsessed with disciplines and discipline and regulations, and I can't stand him. <laughs> and we're only halfway through the series. <laughs> but I think they're quite, even though they're kind of, there's a lot of scenes, there's a lot of mm. characters, and there's try, they're mm. trying to draw them and trying to give you interest, they are kind of broad brush and just flat. Mm. And it's like, so Adam's a maverick, Michelle's a sourpuss. Um, Helen's sort of open-eyed wonder, sort of, ooh, possibly. It, it's just, it's not enough. It's not enough. No. There's a weird thing, though, because, again, uh, getting back to the James Burke thing, there's a, there's a weird scene where they get into the moon buggy and you see someone outside wiping the window. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, is that the kind of, oh, well, you'd have to wipe the windows before you set off because... The, the, uh, and I, I don't know... <laughs> That was an odd bit of detail that I picked up on, and that's really, really weird. That was James Burke's contribution to this episode. <laughs> you must wipe the windows, sir. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know, it's weird. And of course you get this whole idea that Moonbase 3 is a living organism and all this kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, they're trying to make out it's everybody relies on everybody else. And, they've, they've got to and, love each and, other, boyo. <laughs> Whereas basically, once you get bitter and broken, it all gets a bit weird. I think uh, there's a scene uh, towards the end, though, where, where where it gets a bit rapey, doesn't it? Oh, yes. But I think she kind of likes that. She's kind of mm. like, she's like, oh, I like his British charm. But mm. it's it's really wrong on so many levels. And mm. and there's that scene in the buggy, probably after mm. they've wiped the window, where he says, oh, oh, I would like a disco with plenty of girls on the moon. That's what she'd have. And it's just such... Well, maybe that's why they have to wipe the windows. <laughs> yeah, steamy windows. Tina all that stuff floating around. In the... No, 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 stop really it, stop it. It's really sort of basic. And the characters mm. are so horrendously, horrifically mm. misogynistic. Much further. Coming up to midpoint. I've always thought they should build a bar here. Halfway house. With a disco and plenty of girls. All very well for you bachelors. Thanks. How come you never got married? Would you believe me if I told you I was too wrapped up with this rubbish? What, space? I wanted to be out there in the deep, deep night with no family hang-ups. Just goes to show you, doesn't it? It was a tough break, Adam. Oh, weep not for me, old sport. I've had a lot of fun staying unmarried. I feel for chaps like you with commitments back on Earth. You find yourself working for an organisation that doesn't give a damn about your personal difficulties. But... Why is it called Achilles' heel? He is the Achilles' heel. Mr. Meeker mm. is the Achilles' yes. heel. Edward Brayshaw, if you don't yes. know who he is, by the way. Um, <laughs> he's the Achilles' heel. But then, later, at the end of the episode, I have a question. So, after he's been dispatched, because he's a baddie, um, mm. dispatched back to Earth, has he? I think yes. that's how he gets, gets get rid, he's got rid mm. of. Um, Calder shouts, he's not my Achilles' heel. 
But I think the implication is that Helen Smith is the Achilles heel because she's not working mm. out people are psychologically disturbed. Mm. Is that what he was meaning? Well, I think uh, we're all, we're already at sort of three for three, aren't we? <laughs> exactly. And I think that's what's meant, but it's not explicitly stated. But I think mm. that's being levelled at her. There's a lot of episode full of strange psychobabble that just yeah. sort of... That, and again, is saying something about <clears throat> what people believe and how it's easy to manipulate people and all that kind of thing. Again, if you actually take the psychological subtext and make that the main thing, it actually could become more interesting. It, it's an int I can say there's there's obviously a lot of people reading uh, psychology books in the in the seventies, uh, and that was just this week's yeah take on it. The other thing. Um about the last part of the episode is that they have that buggy crash mm. which is kind of nicely done obviously it's models and it's it's obviously toys but mm. but they should all be dead honestly mm. that that mm. buggy was just like went arse over tit several times and like <laughs> really smashed into stuff and then it's like oh no I was in one sixth I, gravity you see I've got a slight <laughs> bruise it's like really you should all be dead um are we okay to move on to episode four, The Outsiders? Episode four, The Outsiders, back to Brazen again. Yeah, yes. it's... Uh, yes, yes, we're misfits, outsiders. We don't belong. It's time we got out. So is this, that just yeah. the definition of us on this podcast? Yeah, well, this particular podcast. This is Stephen Partners, played by Tom Kempinski, and Peter Conway, played by John Hallam, re returning, who had been in previous mm. episodes. And it's about showing them cracking under the strain of living on the moon base. They're, they're meant mm. to be brilliant, but erratic mm. researchers. Mm. So this is about academic life, isn't it? Yes, or, or scientists. or mm. But it's, it's odd, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> well, this is basically what I call the John Hallam suicide episode. The, the entire series, you could actually argue, is a treatise on suicide because there's an awful lot of it. Well, it's certainly a treatise on people with mental problems, certainly. Mm. Yeah. No, it's just when you think about it, does that, I think there's somebody does themselves in, quite, in in just about, or at least talks about it, in about four episodes. And I don't think six. Helen takes any of it on board. She's kind of like, oh, No, no, la, 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 not, not, <laughs> not listening. Seen. I'm a psychiatrist, you know. <laughs> la, la, have a drink. Uh, look at my lovely space outfit. <laughs> oh, no, stop it, Martin. You've been awful. There's a sense of desperation about Stephen Partners these days, as if he feels time is running out. And so it is. Something I should know. I've recommended his transfer back to Earth. You might have discussed it with me first. I might, but it's my decision. There doesn't seem a lot of point in having a psychiatrist if you don't use her. Point taken. Why are you getting rid of him? To begin with, criminal irresponsibility. He made those explosives for Laubenthal. You gave him an official reprimand. Well, he's not producing results. He promised wonders for this mineralogy project of his, and so far, nothing. Shall I give you one more reason? Hmm? You don't like him. Well, you don't, do you? Well, this is, again, this is about funding, isn't it? This is about how they, they've got to have successes to, to continue to have people interested in this. You know, you've got the, the Americans are pumping money into their moon base and the Russians are pumping money into their moon base. And, and moon base three is basically this pissant Brit outpost. I mean, you notice it's it's full of, it may be full of foreigners, but there's a Brit in charge. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's a Brexit, Brexit yeah, <laughs> microcosm. I mean... You know, this is how you make a science fiction series more interesting, isn't it? Finance. Mm. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what happens in it is they get a visit from this guy called Hauser, who is kind of the the funder. Did you notice when he's coming, when his spaceship's coming, it had that proper Blake 7 approach music years before. It's like... It's just this shot of the model approaching the moon and you've got the moon in the background and it just has... It's like the pursuit ship. But I thought it was kind of... I remember being excited by that shot when I saw it in this episode. thinking, oh, that was a nice shot. And I was thinking, because there's not enough of that. Mm. You're so claustrophobic and on the moon all the time that you just feel like, mm. oh, I'm stuck here. You mm. feel as bored and as confined <laughs> as, and constrained yeah. as they are. Yeah, but it's the fear of this uh, this chap coming. Yeah, uh, who is it? He's, I think it's I think it's the bloke who plays the Vocon captain again, isn't it? It's uh... it's not the one with um, George Pravda, is it? Is that someone? No, else? no, no. That's later. That's no, later. So. Oh, you see, I've, got, I've already forgotten who it was. But anyway. He is so sexist. When he sees Helen, he says, you're more beautiful each time I see you. Oh, yes, beauty. That's the only thing Uh, that matters, beauty. Yes, basically. What happens is that Partners stages this demo of the reactor, um, but he's actually used uranium, not his new ore that he's found, and it's Mm. a fake. And they need these successors, so these, Mm. they've kind of... Yeah, they've faked it. Uh, would you be good enough to operate the main switch, sir? Oh, I think the honour should be Dr. Partners. Yes. That's it. Easy. 120 kilowatts, that's terrific. I fail to share your excitement. Surely uranium would produce 150 kilowatt in this mini reactor. Uh, yes, sir, that is so. But Moropdiv, even at this early stage, is doing almost as well at less than one-third of the fuel cost. How can you be so sure? Your Moropdiv will have to be carried back to Earth. In a nuclear tug, fueled with Moropdiv, it pays its own way, doesn't it? Yes. See, of course. Dr. Partners, you are to be congratulated. We all realise, of course, how necessary it is to consider scientific progress. But it is refreshing to find a scientist who also is concerned with economy. Mm. And this is problematic for obvious reasons because mm. they don't actually have this new energy source. Mm. Um, uh, what is it? It's a metal foaming process or something that that Conway's doing um, as well. Well, yeah, that's the other. Yeah, that's the other one. Yeah, it does have a proper breakthrough, and that's John Hallam's character, yeah. Doctor Peter Conway, who gets a uh, gets this significant breakthrough. But it's it's kind of like trumped, as it were, by um, this other scientist faking. His results because fuel you know the stuff he's doing all oh, can you do it on earth it's all a bit dull and boring but this man has done this new fuel and it's exciting even though he's lying about it and it's this this real weird thing where somebody else gets all the credit and somebody else gets all the um all the all the attention and the glory when actually he has you know he's actually done something and made it work and everyone's sort of going oh yeah and you've done that as well you know i can see why that sort of it becomes dramatically interesting under normal circumstances. Yes. But, yeah, it yeah. doesn't really play out particularly well. Um, so there's reference to the music of the spheres, which always makes me think of Doctor Who, because wasn't that a part mm. of New Who at some point? And also mm. this idea of the great silence. And mm. there were some scenes where I thought, actually, this is well directed. This is, this is a good mm. shot of him looking outside mm. onto the moon. And there were times when he thought... You could put yourself in your shoes empathically in their shoes and think, 
this mm. this would be awful living on the moon it'd be terrifying mm. looking out at that mm. blackness and the emptiness and the silence so i can understand mm. why people mm. lose it totally i can understand why that's part of the series it's just it's too much of a focus i mean this is the fourth episode in a row in which it's been about someone going going mad so mm. it's kind of like honestly it's it's a weird weird <laughs> obsession yes L- luna lunatic lunatic being yes. the lunacy yes ah got it ah, lu- lunacy six is what they should have called the series. they should totally um so he ends up going outside peter conway and he mm. takes his helmet off he decides mm. he's leaving the base he's just going he's getting out mm. and it's his way of getting out is to is to die peter switch it off he took off his helmet i don't understand he just wanted to listen It's an odd thing because actually uh, Hallam's character in this is actually very sympathetic, very... Um, you do kind of get it and, he, and they're trying to show off his art credentials, he's, he likes his music, he, he gets to, he borrows the telescope for, you know, when he shouldn't do just so he can look at the stars and right. And this is the thing about this line about it, isn't there, about why would anybody just want to look? You know, yeah. the, the, all the research. Said, oh, I can get you some telescope time. You can, what do you want to research? He said, no, I just want to look. I just want to see, you know. And they just don't get that. And and again, that comes from a sort of early 70s. You know, there's this thing about, um, I hate to say hippiedom, but there's this kind of sort of sense of getting back to things and getting back to real things. And yeah. science wasn't about real things. And this is the arts. So you get, he's an art. You get he's an artist, so <laughs> the only solution for an artist in this environment is to basically unscrew the helmet when they're outdoors. Yeah, yeah I love at the end how she, she goes into his apartment, mm. Peter's empty apartment, and she just mm. brazenly nicks a painting. <laughs> I just love mm. it. She's like, yeah. and also, she doesn't. Not that painting, it's just a nail on the wall. And you think, who goes to a moon base and goes, she's a nail in <laughs> I know, totally. But also, <laughs> when she looks up at the skylight with the eyes open, which she used to mm. look out at the surface, the, the sky mm. on, um, mm. she should cry at that moment. They don't mm. even, even use a glycerin tear. She just looks up blankly because she mm. can't act well enough. The uh, timing is weird on these episodes. I mean, I think, I mean, again, you, I know it's studio pressure and all that kind of thing, but actually that shot would have been more important than the endless shots of that silver treacle coming down. Oh, endless. Ramps. And, that, yeah. and were those sequences actually deliberately slowed down as well to make them even yeah. more turgid? <laughs> and there was a there's a there's a, a scene I think where you what where the uh, you know the uh, director or whatever the the incoming is it, he, he puts his rocket landing yeah and it just it's an it's a model shot and it's never going to be great and they're on it for it feels like half a minute I mean it maybe isn't quite that long. But it certainly feels so slow. You see the rocket coming down. <laughs> and you just think, God's sake, yeah, you, you don't have to show us that. We know the rocket's landing. A, a quick, you know, the rocket's here. Whoa. Yeah. But um, it's it's obsessed with showing us the procedure and the detail mm. for no. And the model work is fine. And I get that. I but say for no dramatic. The model work purpose. have done good stuff. Yeah, but it doesn't serve any real yeah. purpose. It doesn't need to be there. That's yeah, the point. Exactly. 
exactly that. I mean, I just can't help but think that um, that Dicks and Letts were just thinking, mm. oh, well, just take the money. And this is obviously isn't going to run beyond this series. Mm. It's, it doesn't work. It's mm. boring. Um, mm. But let's just really just... I think by this point they're thinking, let's just really talk about Doctor Who in season 11 and make sure that's really good and... Rather than be commissioned, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we've been commissioned. We've got to do six of these buggers. Let's yeah. just get them done. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think they have much hand in it because they only write episode one, mm. and they don't script edit. Do they script edit the series? Is it script edited by anyone? I think it must be. I just don't remember. So then, moving on from outsiders, we have episode five, which is called Castor and Pollux. Again, a contribution by. Yeah, sorry, Terence Dix. Script script consultant is James Burke, and Terence Dix is down the script editor. So well, really, honestly, is... he was definitely mm. working on season eleven of Doctor Who. He was, he was more interested in the Time Warrior and the, those dinosaurs than he was in any of this. <laughs> they were busy trying to find Liz Slade. Yeah, well, that was a good. That actually, if we have to have a shit. Moonbay series, and they so they managed to get Elizabeth Sladen. I'm glad they chose that path. Mm. Um, so Elizabeth Sladen is why Moonbase Three is shit. That's a really good conclusion. <laughs> I'm quite happy with that. The, the universe is in balance. Yes, it is now. I'm, can we just leave it there? I've been Andy. Goodbye. Um, so Castor and Pollux, written by John Lucarotti, directed by mm. Christopher Barry. Mm. Um, this is about the need for a joint expedition to Jupiter with the Russians. Mm. Um, so Tom Hill ends up going on this mission. There's a there's an accident. There's a dust satellite, basically, yeah. that needs fixing, and he yeah. decides to go. Then there's a routine docking manoeuvre that goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And yes, and then there needs to be a rescue mission. And the Russian mm-hmm. guy who really, really likes... Likes Tom Hill, honestly, he's forever. Well, hugging this him. is it. He has written on his hand, "What WWTHD? What would Tom Hill do?" Oh, I know. I wrote that down. I was like, "Oh my god, that's a bit upsetting." Tom Hill is the greatest cosmonaut in the history of space. Which is why he's in a back room tinkering in Moonbase Three all of the rest <laughs> of the series. It's bizarre. <laughs> but yeah, what would Tom Hill do? He's called Dmitri Gararov, mm. I think. Mm. Um, yes. There's a lovely line in it about everything being held together by sticky tape and chewing gum. which I think, I think that was deliberate. That was deliberate, <laughs> wasn't it? So this is the one with George Pravda as the Russian director, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. But General Jenkin, the duplication that goes on up here is idiotic and wasteful. Pooling our resources, only sensible thing. The Soviet and Euro governments decide which projects each will undertake. But acting on our recommendation. Well, I am willing to raise the matter at our next conference. Well, if you'd like to add that the idea has already been discussed by the Eurospace Assembly, who feel it's well worth following up. Yeah. And also, there's a lot of references to the tin can, which I think must be a Bowie reference, surely, sitting in a tin can. That's ah, got to be a, nice. you know, Because they keep referring to the, the space capsules as, as tin cans, yeah. and I think that that must have come from the Bowie song. It's yeah, got, yeah, you know, yeah. sitting in a... You know, it must have done. So, I wrote down here, I tune out so many of these conversations. <laughs> in my yeah. notes. It's just like... I really struggle to maintain my interest because mm. it just never well, really goes anywhere. Well, basically, people sitting in space capsules endlessly is not interesting. It, what fascinates me is if you actually think about the film Apollo 13, I don't know if you've ever seen Oh, I it hated it because of bloody Tom Hanks. I can't stand ah, it. Okay. Anyway, why? Is it good? But, no, it, well, it's, it's not a bad film if you, if you like your space stuff. 
but it's just interesting that I, a, a real Apollo 13 would have happened about a year, a year and a half before this. Yeah. So I think this is, oh, we've got to do a space accident because of Apollo 13. I think that's why this episode exists. They wanted to do something that was a bit like Apollo 13 in real world. Uh, if you see what I yeah. mean. So it kind of, <clears throat> whether or not it's dramatically interesting, I mean, I don't even, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think Apollo 13 is, is a good film. But yeah. it's interesting that the story it's telling wouldn't have been told in any other way other than at that point by the news media. And I think that's what would have been why they made the episode at all. We've got to do a space accident yeah. thing. Why is it called Castor and Pollux? Uh, I think it's because that's a space name, but it's also that they are twins, aren't they? And, and, and it's the two, I think it's the two spacemen. I think they're the two astronauts. They're basically cut from the same cloth. Right. Um, I mean, there's, there's some fascinating stuff in there because you get, this is where you get LeBron's ambition mm -hmm. coming into play and, and, and I mean, Calder gets suspended because he approves this mission. Yeah. And there's this whole thing about to save the one life, is it worth it if you're risking somebody else's life? I think that's an interesting yeah, psychological aspect of the episode. Yeah. You know, they because it's Tom, because he's one of the leads, you know, he's probably going to be fine. Equally, because of the nature of the series, you know it's not been recommissioned. Maybe they could have bumped him off. It's an interesting one. But the reason, the choices they make, there's a terrible, terrible scene in this where um, Calder actually does do the James Burke thing with the to show everybody. Well, you, I've got this model in this hand, and this is what you have. And it's almost like that's the only way they could think of to tell what the plan was. Right. And I don't think that's a particularly good uh, solution to that. Yeah. I don't know. I, maybe, I did, maybe, maybe I'm I, wrong I did like the bond, between, even though it was a bit overplayed, I did like the bond between mm. Dimitri and Tom Hill. And the fact that Dimitri says, I'm mm. coming to fetch you, it was really compassionate mm. that he was coming to save mm. his friend. I did like that aspect mm. of it. I was hoping you'd come. I hear Tom is in trouble. Yes, Colonel, he is. I will go and fetch him. And Marcel Kaya? It won't go without me. You'll be back in plenty of time for the launch. Patch me into Tom Hill's circuit. Right away, sir. Tom? Yes, David. Someone to speak to you. It's Dimitri. I am coming to fetch you. Does Trankin know? We'll discuss the difficulties during the voyage. Work out our plan. <laughs> Does the comrade director know? I am here, Tom. And he is in Lunokaya. <laughs> There's a little bit of a moment where they, they tell the Russians to speak in English. Yeah. Everybody speak in English. Oh, That's kind God. of funny. And, um, you know, and all that kind of thing. It's an odd, it's an odd piece. I mean, you know, Pravda's always fun. You know, it's it's not like... Uh, There's a weird thing as well um, with the, the space girl the space assistant, the space whatever technician she is, yeah. in <laughs> thigh-length boots and a miniskirt. Oh, but it's just, there's so many nameless girls who are operators and mm. countdown assistants and whatever they are, but they're never yeah. allowed a character, they're never allowed to, yeah. a real job or to do anything mm. important. There's certainly no, I mean, no we, female astronauts, is there? No, we do wonder across the board how what the actual staff what the number of staff is at this base you do see the odd occasional person walking around but it is it 30 is it 100 is it 60 you know there's there's no real yeah. sense of 
how many people Agreed. are in this environment. I mean, you see a you see the model shot at the beginning of the episode in the in the title sequence. Title sequence again, very. Uh, it has that portentous music that would have been from the Apollo. It, that's what space music sounds like. Yeah. You know, it, it has it has that kind of pompous sort of you know deep bass thing going on, and and that would have referred back to Apollo that was on telly. Yeah. But but yeah, it, you don't really get a sense of you know how many people are living there. I mean, yeah. it, 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 it it's an odd it's an odd environment because if it's a dozen people sort of sort of squeezed together in that environment, that's a different thing to say a hundred it just is mm. you know the, the intensity and the That's pressure it, yeah. of 12 people who don't like each other working in the same office yeah <laughs> i like the fact um that you have lebrun taking over without hesitation he's such a horrible excuse of a person and and that you've got calder showing that he's a good guy i mean he plays too much on his charisma as a leader and he he always thinks he's right and he does go too far but but I, he says what I did was right, and that's what matters. And the fact that he did agree to this mission, even though it was dangerous and it was putting lives at risk, you, you, there was that feeling of what is ethically, morally right and what is actually the thing you should do scientifically and using your head rather than your heart. And I kind of liked that balance. I thought that was quite well mm. played. Mm. I did, and, of yeah. course, when it, when it all works out well, he gets all the of praise course. for it. That's the interesting Yeah, which, yeah. But then you've got, <laughs> I have to confess, there was a, it was a weird moment because at the end, for the last five minutes or ten minutes, there's an awful lot of heavy breathing whilst they're getting right. him out of the thing. And mm. I was watching it in the bath and Ryan actually knocked on the door and said, what are you watching in there? <laughs> <laughs> just some space porn, don't worry about it, mate. There was just so much heavy breathing. Uh, well, he said, "I thought you were watching seen... that moon thing," and I'm like, "No, I am." And he's like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> if, you, if, if you've ever seen uh, the sequel to 20, uh, 2001, 2010, where John Lithgow has to do a spacewalk, oh. that, that's about ten minutes of every breathing. Oh my well. god! So you could you could watch that as a follow. -up. No, I won't. Right. <laughs> the interesting. I was going to say though before we we move to the final yeah. episode. Do you? Because uh, this uh, episode five is the one that ends with a with an almighty yaki da which is and it, it's the the sense of episode ending do you know how in quite a lot of american series there'd be a tag scene yeah. that adds on a bit of a bit of a joke i call, i always call it i always call it i always call it the walt kubiak moment because often because ah, okay. that's the name that often appears at the end walt kubiak um right. so it's like when people laugh at the end it's like the end of episode of blake seven when they all laugh after all those people have died <laughs> on aaron children of aaron and yeah. everyone laughs it's like that isn't it it's yeah. terrible but this thing is that these the episodes in this don't really do that. They just sort of stop in most cases. It's like right, it's you know, is everybody on their marks? Okay, we've run out of script words. Right, switch the cameras off. It really has a very. Uh, there's not. There's never that beat no. at the end. Yeah. There's never that beat that says. There's not even again. Maybe it's the way these because these were rescued from NTSC. Uh, video the R's were wiped so it's not like you even get a next time no. come back or oh, it's just like uh, so yeah. um, yakida yeah. have a drink 
you know. Oh, right, okay. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm just I'm just interested that the episode endings across the board aren't really. They don't feel like you know, like again when you watch something like Secret Army and and something terrible has happened. Yeah. You get a real, you get engaged with it. You get really sort of involved in it, and you feel they do this sort of thing that just at the end to make you think about the awful things you've seen. And it just sort of doesn't. I've just realised that you're saying that it's not a happy moment at the end. Is it? Is it just a, a quick sign-off? Well, just the episode endings generally. What I'm saying, I know, I know there are Americans, the American series can sometimes tag on a, a sort of fake... Oh, OK. Because so, I thought this... Because I wrote all happy... I wrote on my notes all happy at the end, but they, it wasn't actually seen for them all to be happy, was it not? Mm. Not generally. It was just they sort of stopped. Yeah. It was. I mean, Yakidar is seen as ah, and 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 that was the nearest it got to that. But most of the episodes just sort of go. Oh, yeah. No, it's true. Castor and Pollux, will they ever fly together again? I wouldn't be at all surprised. Does that obvious? Yakidar. Yes. What do you think I thought of episode six, View of a Dead Planet by Arden Winch? Ah, well, let me, put, let, me, let me just read my top line of notes, which basically says, Goff in makeup, English litterbugs, boredom, sexist fucker. <laughs> you haven't answered my question there. What did I think of this episode? Did I like it or not like it? Well, I think from that list, <laughs> I think I could assume it's not your favourite piece of television. No, I really enjoyed this episode. Did you? Yes. Oh, that's, that's surprising. I mean, there were some terrible moments. <laughs> yes. Particularly from Michael Goff. But mm. I thought this was a really exciting episode. This is what Moonbase 3 should have been on all along, mm. but they should have made this storyline across the whole series about the Earth being destroyed. They're stuck on Moonbase. What are they going to do? Mm. It could have been a survival epic. Um, teaming, up with other, teaming up with the other Moonbases, sorting the food problem. It could have been so fascinating, cross-cultural, mm. um, helping each other and mm. running out of time. But mm. it's just all housed in this one episode. I was sat watching it thinking, I can't mm. believe how good this is. Finally, they've left it all to the last episode. Okay, It's the episode that people remember when they, if, yeah. if they remember it at all. And, it, and like I say, I mean, it is the one I remember seeing on first viewing. Um, so it, it, is, it is kind of, obviously, it, it, it struck more of a chord. The problem is... As ever, it's a treatise on suicide, really. Yeah. And it, whether or not, basically, you're not going to get supplies, you're not going to get mm. um, anything else. What should we do? Do we survive or do we basically slowly but surely kill everybody? Yeah. And everybody seems to assume that's the plan. Yeah. As far as we can learn, when the fusion was set off, a chain reaction started of all the hydrogen in the Earth's atmosphere, and, uh... Well, we can't be exactly sure what took place, but... now we must assume that the Earth is a dead planet. We have enough oxygen and food to last for several weeks, but, uh... Well, after that, uh, We must assume that there will be no more supplies. And so I ask you all to um, understand and uh, 
Well, we will all need each other's comradeship. We will do what we have to do. So let's get out the way the, the really bad stuff as well. I mean, I agree totally about that. You've got Michael Goff. The 81-year-old Michael Goff. He was about, must have been 50. Yeah, he was, he was about late 40s only. Oh, right. Yeah. And he comes in and he immediately declares, there's no place for women in science. It's like, <laughs> oh, good. That's another... Let <laughs> Yet more of this misogynist shit. Mm. And, but then I really supported him when he's saying how anti-nationalist he is. He hates flags mm. and how it gets mm. in the way of everything. Oh, I, thought, oh, I like this speech. This is good. Mm. So he was very polarising. Mm. Um, he got late. That's after we'd had that strange Bastille Day oh, um, that, party. That was it? the most bizarre thing of all. That mm. anyone on Boombase 3 would celebrate Bastille Day in, a, in an effort <laughs> to be nice to Michelle Lebrun, who's the most horrible, insipid, <laughs> sour, pouty-lipped asshole. You would never do mm. anything for him. I wouldn't open a door mm. for him. I would shut it in his face every opportunity. Mm. He's just mm. horrible. And suddenly mm. he's all, oh, I'm funny and I'm being f- French and funny and I'm going to laugh mm. about reconstituted food and wine mm. and stuff. And it's like, no, you can't suddenly do this in episode six because we already hate your guts. <laughs> the 14th of July. And in Paris, they will be singing and dancing in the streets and lots of wine. And here... Here we celebrate with reconstituted calves liver, synthetic potato, and H14, a local lunar vegetable so disgusting that nobody's ever bothered to give it a name. (laughs) Well, at least there's wine, Michel. Oh, yes, of course. You mustn't forget the wine. Chateau Mouton Calder. Add two packets of purple powder to five litres of recycled effluent and stir. I wouldn't find it all so revolting if I didn't know how it was made. (laughs) But still, up there it's different. Up there it really is, the cutoffs. So the story is about the Arctic Sun project that mm. has the danger of burning the atmosphere. That's what Michael Goff's character mm. thinks is going to happen if they they start it, if they if they go for it. Then all power goes from anything that's earth based, and yes. then they look and out, signals. and then they look out, and that's an amazing, terrifying shot. If I'd watched it at nine, I would have been, oh my god, the Earth is surrounded in clouds, and oh my Christ, is Earth dead? Jesus. And that's really exciting and really shocking and also so isolating and claustrophobic. And I thought, mm. it's worth watching this. Just If I just had one episode to watch, this one would be mm. the one I'd recommend to people to watch. Mm. But still, there's so many problematic elements in it, aren't there? Well, yes. Um, not least there's the whole the space rapist. Oh, the precious God! Having a drink. Get to your quarters. I'll deal with you in the morning. And just what do you think you will do to me then, huh? Get to your quarters. I'll deal with you in the morning. Do as I say. Who, who is just completely um, exonerated? Nothing's done about mm. it. And in one of the scenes later on. Mm. He sat next to her. She's happy to sit next to him. Yeah, at the dinner table. At the dinner table. Mm. Like nothing's happened. While he's Mm. joking about women with four breasts. Mm. And it's like, she's laughing away at his jokes about women's breasts. 
after he mm. had tried to rape her just uh, the mm. day before. It's just, mm. honestly, look at this more closely. Come on, Terence Dix, you're napping. Mm. This is not okay. Mm. Mm. I visualise my tape being found by a beautiful lady from Arcturus or Cassiopeia. <laughs> yeah, like a Miss World, only pretty. <laughs> Everything we like in women, she will have two. Um. Oh. <laughs> and the things? And the things we like best, she will have four. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did you get the, the Zabi reference, the Doctor Who reference? Go on. So there's a terrible actress playing this blonde woman in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who she is, but she's awful. At one point, she's trying to recount the history of um, Mozart for for oh, posterity. Okay. Oh, good God, yes. <laughs> the, the, all the stuff about saving mankind's bloody record. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, but um, she says... Um, on tape machines. There's one point where she thinks that all of this stuff saving for posterity will be found by these giant space ants. And I suppose she thinks it's the Zabi. She's talking about the Zabi. I suppose she is, yeah. Yeah. And Ant made the connection. <laughs> well, I only hope those giant ants from another galaxy that we've gone to all this trouble for. I only hope they know enough to switch on playback first and not just wipe out all our efforts by pushing record. <laughs> And, and they're, they're, yeah, well, they're not going to be able to read it, are they? I mean, how, how do you switch this on? How do you make? How do you work a tape recorder? Anyway, blah blah. I don't know. We stuck a record on a on a on the space probe. We took a gold record, and you think, uh, will they have record players? Will they know what speed to play? Oh, I know that it doesn't. It doesn't do to worry about that stuff. <laughs> but even though they're all going to die, somehow mm. they have this really happy final feast, and they're all laughing yes. like they're down at the pub on a Friday night. Mm. And having such a good time before they discover that, in mm. fact, there's there's a belt of ionised gas that has got in the way and it actually hasn't, mm. the atmosphere hasn't burnt up. And Michelle mm. Lebrun is the hero because he's got through to Earth and they're probably all just happy because he's not there. Actually, that's why they're happy at that party, because yeah, he's not yeah. there. Well, the other thing is, yeah, but they, the thing is what the space rapist was supposed to go, but he bottled out and Lebrun replaced him. Yes. And you're kind of thinking, yeah, that space rapist needs to be in a dungeon somewhere. Yes. <laughs> they should take his helmet off on the surface, honestly. Oh, dear me. Oh. Yeah, the, you know, it, it's, it's a very odd one. They, you know, and I mean, that's I, Bruno Ponti, played by Garrick Hagen, who was in The mm. Mutants, I think. In the end, it turns out that Michael Goss' character is wrong. When yes, because some bizarre quiz show suddenly comes. Yes, <laughs> humanity like... saved because we've got bad quiz shows. We've got bad quiz shows. That means yes, fine. We're broadcasting <laughs> bad quiz shows. Oh, yeah, don't even call pointless. That would have been yeah. just perfect. But it's like one of those bad quiz shows. That I'm sure I've seen some drama series once where there was bad quiz shows after the. Um, after the apocalypse, after the nuclear apocalypse, it sounded kind oh, of reminded right. me I of think, that. Um, I think there was a comedy series that used to yes. do it quite often. Yes. Uh, it was, it was um, oh God, what's his name? David uh, Mitchell, Mitchell and Webb. Yes, and Webb. that was it. That's what it reminded me of. It was one of those sort of comedy shows. <laughs> yeah, with people's teeth falling out in their hair. As that, opposed that's... to the Nigel Neal titty bang bang or whatever it was, titty bumpty, titty bumpty hour. Which did in, <laughs> yes, in, uh, in Quatermass 4. Sex Olympics, I think it was, wasn't it? Oh, okay, but there's also a bit. There's also a bit in Quatermass Four as well, which is yes. No, you're yeah. probably right. It looked as though it had all exploded. The atmosphere, I mean, but there was no explosion. So by now, the particles of the fusion will be dispersing. I mean, well, the Earth will have heat. Life will go on as usual. <laughs> you were wrong, weren't you? Eh? Thank God, you were wrong. Yes, I was wrong. 
Any man can make a mistake. But mankind, now mankind cannot be allowed one single mistake. It's a good episode because it's more dramatic in terms of content. There's still mm. terrible stuff about misogyny and rape and women in this, mm. but ultimately, there's an actual uh, there's actual jeopardy to it, isn't it? Yes, the thing. Yeah. you do feel there's a proper there's something at stake in this one that yeah. quite often there doesn't seem to have been throughout the other five episodes. Yeah, but I I took issue with the final line, which was from Michael Goff, which was saying Man- oh, yeah. mankind cannot be allowed one single mistake, and it's like, well, it must be able to be because. All of these mistakes that have happened during this series and everyone's still alive. So I think the message actually is more is that mankind is terrible and makes mistakes all the time. But somehow we muddle through if we don't Mm -hmm. commit suicide. Well, if we actually were counting on the fingers of uh, one hand the amount of mistakes that mankind has made in the last, I don't know, year, we'd run out of hands in (laughs) about a second and a half. So it's like, you know, it's not. Yes, there's a massive danger of huge jeopardy. I mean, look at the pandemic, Mm. which, you know. Oh, it's just there's so many things which could happen now. And I think we all mm. live in a society where we believe we're less, mm. we're, we believe we're more vulnerable than we were. Yes. But, and that kind of came home watching this. It was kind of like, mm. oh, shit. Cause especially with the environment stuff going on and climate change. Mm. And mm. I mean, even just me going to New Zealand this last time and in their mm. summer and it was wintry mm. and floods and, and rain mm. and storms. It made you think... Jesus, and then I was in Sweden. I'm not showing off about where I've been. I'm giving you local colour, but um, I was in I was in Sweden in March, and it was still snowing, and it was still snowing. I think I went downstairs once. Yeah. But it was still snowing in April and May in Sweden. I'm like, they're like, they're really worried about the climate, and like, I just think mm. we, we are delicately balanced. And of course, Barry was famously. Yes. I mean, Barry Letts was famously, you know, interested in yeah. that stuff. Ecologically then, bent. You know. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's good that that started to come through. But mm. I think it would have been a better series if, if it had all been written by Terence Dix mm. and Barry Letts. But I don't know, though, because maybe they were too distracted. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, I'd much rather that Barry concentrated on writing Planet of Spiders, to be honest. To be honest. <laughs> so, and, and I like Planet of Spiders, unlike most people, so there you go. Mm-hmm. But, um, oh, gosh, 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 gosh. Mm. It's it's a it's a definitely a flawed series. I I think it's I don't know whether it could have been better or whether it could have been should have just been consigned. I mean, what we would have done for Letter M maybe had been consigned to the dustbin of the universe. I don't know. It's an interesting uh, side hustle, if you like. <laughs> There's one. Of the, that's one of those terms the kids use, isn't it? Yeah. It's an interesting side hustle for Barry and Terry. Yes. If interestingly enough, they'd made one play for today. That was the, the story of the final episode. Yeah, you know, they'd set up a whole. I mean, they couldn't have afforded to do it. That would be yeah. the problem. They have to spread the costs over six episodes. But if they'd made one really good play for today, it might have been seen as a classic. As it is, it's a very flawed piece, which which I, I, its ambition exceeds what it's capable of, and it does have connections with other you attempts see, at the space series. I don't know whether it has enough ambition. That's mm. the problem, I think. I think if, if it could have been right. a six-part series that was more around the Arctic Sun project and mm. the survival aspect, and maybe had like a, a first episode where you're just building up that story and, and there's a suicide and a mad person. But to have mad people for four episodes or five episodes or whatever it is, it's just such a weird conceit. And 
I also think the casting is really bad. I mean, Donald Houston's okay. Ralph Bates is terrible. Um, Fiona Gaunt is okay. She could be better. She's not mm. good enough. She's not charismatic enough. She's. Mm. You could easily have a better actress in that role. Um, Tom Hill is the only one, played by Barry Lowe, who I think is a decent all-round character. But... Again, then even there's problems with him because you don't believe he's this super space astronaut that we're suddenly meant to think he is. If they made it as a miniseries now, it would be very different. But there's, there's the core of a decent idea in there somewhere. It's not very well executed, but it's there is the core of something interesting there. It's also historically one of those shows, it would have been literally completely trumped by Space 1999 two years later. That's why it sort of gets forgotten about because there was this other Moonbase yeah. series. Interestingly enough, uh, Helena Russell's character, uh, Barbara Bain's character, sorry, uh, Helena Russell, in Space 1999 does seem to be channeling a lot of what they've done on Moonbase 3. There does seem to be that same kind of yeah, idea. There's a lot of psychological problems in Breakaway, yeah. which is the opening Space yeah. 1999 episode. And again, when we come back to this kind of thing done by the BBC a uh, decade and a half later, a lot of the same things crop up. Although I think uh, Chris Boucher uh, writes it a lot more deftly yeah. when he does uh, Star Cops. There's a lot, it's a lot cleverer, Star Cops, yeah. because it's trying to, it's actually basically being a detective noir series that happens to have space trappings. And I think that's the thing. They never really decided what this was yes it was it this in space or was it that in space it and it sort of does become a bit like the brothers in space or the power game in space sort of but fails to be as interesting as either yeah because i i i've watched the first five series of the brothers now and mm. it's it's shockingly bad in places but it is enjoyable mm. it's watchable mm. way more watchable than this mm. is mm. which i mean i really i really wanted to like it and i tried to be as mm. kind as i could the elements mm. that i like different lines different moments I, as i said i like the moon base um outside exterior sequences and the models mm. i thought were fun mm. but it's just the plotting the plotting was really substandard yeah, but overall there's not this sense of jeopardy no. that i think that you really should feel that this is a dangerous yeah. hostile implacable enemy of an environment and it was saying somehow when you're watching, I don't know, Joan Collins in a boardroom and you, she's going to take everybody's, you know, companies off them. I own 51% of this company. <laughs> yeah, it, but it feels like, you know, there's a, there's a sense of somebody's got something to lose. Yeah. Whereas in this one, even, I mean, the, the weird one, say the, um, the, the space monster one, is when they, they, they talk about the fact that it looks like it was torn open from the outside. That's never explained. No, well, it was just an, because, ex it was just an explosion, wasn't it? It's an explosion, so it should have blown outwards, not inwards, you know, and it was, so it was, unless it was an implosion. Yeah. But it's, sorry, a bit of stupid science there. I've, I've got James Burke on speed now. <laughs> I'm glad he was there for you. <laughs> but it's just, it's it's that sense of, there isn't really, I, again, you get it because you know these things are being filmed in studios in London or Borenwood or whatever. You know, actually, that sense that if you puncture the wall, you know, the outside's going to come in or the inside's going to go yeah. out. That sense of real jeopardy isn't shown. It's talked about. There's a lot of talking in this. There's a very little showing. In some ways, I think Moonbase 3 is a radio show made for television. Oh, that's a nice little idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it works better. 
it would work better as a, an audio. I'm not saying, oh, yet more stuff from Big Finish, but you know, I just think it would. It, it feels that it's it's too it's too audio, mm -hmm. and it's it's that whole show not tell, isn't it? And uh, unfortunately, Moonbase Three does a lot of telling rather than showing. Yeah, it it, it really does. It's just. It just isn't strong enough on all counts. Um, it's a shame. It's, it's a shame. It's a worthy entry in the podcast, though, because I think it's it's an example of hard science fiction drama that we haven't really had mm. elsewhere. It's it's mm. odd that Ken Hannam and Christopher Barry couldn't invest more life in it. But then, if you've got mm. a rubbish script, what can you do? You know. Mm. I think single camera, it would again, it's one of those things that in the modern era you could do it differently. And it, yeah. you know, as a Netflix miniseries, the, the concept of Moonbase 3 might work quite well. Yeah. Uh, if, it, if it was, you know, tighter and tauter and had a whole sort of slightly different attitude, you know, it'd be modernised. I mean, I get oh, totally, it. Yeah. But it, but it, but it, there's a, there's a fundamental core of something half decent in there. It just seems to, unfortunately, never quite pay off. Maybe it was under budgeted. Maybe it was, you know, under, didn't have enough time. But I mean, if you're interested in human psychology in tight situations, you know, it, it, there's there's ideas in there that that could work. But very well. but so much better portrayed in other series that are psychological mm. human dramas like indeed like Tenko's Secret Army Survivors, mm. all of those series that I love, and this just does it very. In a very pedestrian. Tenko in space. <laughs> so my conclusion is Moonbase three nil. Doctor Who getting Elizabeth Sladen cast as Sarah one. Mm. <laughs> I think the other interesting thing about that is though that this would have been made after Frontier in Space, wouldn't it? Right. And, Front and Frontier in Space has all that out to space stuff going on so it would have kind of maybe convinced them that they could do it but that was more for this way more fun the epicness mm. of frontier in space mm. compared to this mm. turgid mm. but cozy moon base mm. it's just mm. uh, it's the claustrophobia of the series you start to feel claustrophobic yourself mm. you start to feel like oh i'm trapped in this boring moon base and the team of course would have gone on to make those dinosaurs for invasion of the dinosaurs exactly and had great fun more fun i bet than they had on this mm. okay i think i've said as much as i have to say fair on enough base three fair i hope enough. we haven't been too hard on it i think we've been quite fair but casting plotting directionless oh yeah, it's, we, it's yeah. not the best series out there but it's it's a curio that's worth watching i would mm. say we do sometimes need to sort of dissemble these things, and you have to be honest. You have, you yeah. can only really see it, at, you know, say it as you see it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And if you love it, great. It's nice that you have that to go to. But, but I will not be. I will not be returning to Moonbase. Well, there. no. So I mean, if you've got the the disc set, I mean, will you? It's it's kind of weird because it's obviously been on my shelf for a very long time, and I and even when I was watching it, I thought I'm not sure I got through all of this. Yeah, uh, I I remembered watching an episode of it when I got it. I I'm I'm fairly sure I must have watched all six, but I had literally no memory. Well, I was watching them all, thinking I don't remember any of this, and that's weird. I think that's the thing. If something is iconic, it sort of sticks with you. And like I said uh, right at the top, you know, when I was a kid, I did remember that last episode. But generally speaking, there's a lot of stuff in here that washes over you, and in the end isn't very memorable which is a shame because you know the talent on board 
generally you kind of think they've done some wonderful things yeah uh but this is it feels like a misfire uh, isn't there that quote of terence dix's that moonbase 3 was ultimately a failure the trouble was we built a too restrictive format for ourselves and that the series lacked a sense of wonder and outrageousness yeah it's interesting because it, it's not about it doesn't need to be outrageous because mm. doctor who's outrageous enough mm science fiction it doesn't need outrageous it just needs mm. some human genuine human interest and a bit more jeopardy mm. like you get in the final mm. episode mm. yes gosh are we there i think so good stuff so until next time when we will deal with the letter n um mm. i have been andy thank you for joining me today martin that's the, always a pleasure, Andy. I've been Martin. You take care and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to an A to Z of UK TV drama. If you enjoyed the episode, I know that Andy and Martin would love to hear from you on Twitter. Better still, why not leave them a review on Apple Podcasts so that other Archive TV fans can find them. Mm-hmm.